Welcome to the Body Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Kiara. You can expect new episodes each Wednesday that are educational, inspiring, and honest surrounding various women's health topics, spirituality, and so much more. The Body Wisdom Podcast was brought to life by integrating the physical and emotional body to deepen one's healing journey. Thanks for being here and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast episode of the Body Wisdom Podcast. We're here today with Mandy Flanders. Welcome. So happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Looking forward to this conversation. (laughs) Me too. I think you might be, well, no, I've had a somatic experiencing practitioner on the show too, but um, okay. The second person on to talk about somatics, like this is just I love this work so much and I think it's growing and growing, which I love also. Um, so I guess before we get into somatic talk, um, actually walking us through a little exercise, if you will, to help us land in the space together, just to give our listeners a little taste of what somatic healing is, because I I get that question all the time. Like what is somatics? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would love that. So wherever you are, hopefully you're not driving. (laughs) Are driving pause and <laughs> get later. <clears throat> and if you're not driving, just find a comfortable seat and feel your feet on the floor. And notice the points of contact between you and whatever surface your body is touching. And you might notice as you're presencing these aspects of your body, your system is starting to slow down a little bit. You might notice a settling. And then just be curious about how your system is responding to that settling. Without judgment, without needing to make meaning of it, just observing. And so you're noticing these points of contact, but also notice the places where your body might not be touching a surface. So maybe the arch of your foot, maybe the backs of your knees, unless your knees are bent and they're touching the thigh, maybe the low back. And so you're noticing the contrast between the points of connection and the space between. Notice if you have spontaneous deeper breaths, I just did. And then bringing your awareness to the left side of your body. And then to the right side of your body. And then your awareness to the lower half of your body, your feet, your legs, 
and the upper half of your body. Noticing now the inside of your body and if there's any places that want your attention. And then bringing your awareness to the outside of your body. So it could be the skin, but it could also be the area just beyond the skin, just outside of your own body. And again, without making meanings of your experience, we're just noticing and just observing. We're just noticing what it's like to be with the body without expecting it to do anything, without needing it to do anything. And notice how sweet that presence and attunement feels. And as you're ready, breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. And we'll do that one more time, breathing in and out. And as you open your eyes, just take a moment to orient to your surroundings and your environment, just taking in textures and colors. And with this, you're really letting your eyes lead the way rather than looking and following your head and your mind. Just noticing what are my eyes drawn to? What colors do my eyes want to look at? What textures? And then coming back whenever you're ready. Mm. Oh, I really needed that. <laughs> that was great. Oh, oh man. Oh, I hope everyone could get that felt sense of safety and settling in their bodies. And if not, that's beautiful too just noticing that. I love, I love how you said that, like not assigning meaning to it. I think that really takes a lot of pressure off and kind of, yeah, allows us to stay in our body versus like hopping to the thinking mind. Yeah. Yeah. And we're expecting our bodies to do something. Yeah. What should I be feeling? <laughs> There's no should. It's just whatever's there is there and whatever's not there is not there. Mm -hmm. Yeah totally different than what I'm used to. Um, so I'm curious, Mandy, how did you end up in the world of somatics? Cause you're a yoga teacher, right? Too. Mm -hmm. yeah, you have a lot of things. <laughs> no, I have like a very eclectic background. <laughs> 
I was an esthetician for a while. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. And a doula, a birth doula That's and nice. yoga teacher and then health coach. And now I do the somatic trauma coaching. Wow. I think all of that just really allows you to just have this well-rounded approach to it for sure. Yeah. And what was it that drew you to somatic therapy? I think I've always been sort of attuned to somatics, but didn't know that there was like a name for it. And it was really these two things happening in my life at one time. So I was a health coach working with clients who had cancer and autoimmune issues. And so I was working with people who were undergoing cancer treatments to rebuild their health and vitality after chemo and radiation. Um, and some people chose to forego, not, you know, I wasn't recommending that necessarily, but they chose to and wanted to just focus on creating a more robust immune system instead of doing like traditional treatments. And in working with them, we addressed the food and supplements and their health would improve only to a certain point. And they were still having like sleep disturbances or anxiety or like for my cancer patients and my autoimmune patients, when they would feel a symptom, it would set off like this whole alarm system <laughs> in their bodies because symptoms then became a cue of threat. And at the same time that this was going on and I was noticing like, okay, this is really interesting. The things that I'm used to doing are not working necessarily. I was also undergoing my own health crisis and was dealing with mold sickness mm -hmm. and was very sick from it. And I didn't realize how sick I was until I got better. Um, and I was doing the same things. I was doing the detoxes and eating the cleanest, nothing in packages and <laughs> everything was organic. And, you know, I did everything right, but I wasn't getting better. Mm. So then I started listening to The Body Keeps the Score. This was probably, I don't know, five years ago. And I was like crying listening to this book because it was so validating. I'm like, this is literally everything that I'm experiencing. And it put a name to what was happening in my body. Hmm. So then I started pursuing somatics and my own personal healing and trainings for, you know, different somatic modalities and was like using them with clients and they would start to feel better. And I was feeling better and they were feeling better. And then I was feeling better. And so then I just mostly shifted over the last like two or three years away from health coaching and fully into the somatic world. Wow. I think you just spoke to our entire audience right there. Cause they're probably in we're in the shoes that you were in. Yeah. I can't tell you how many clients I speak to. It's like, I just got off a call with one. She was just like, I'm doing everything right. And yeah. And now she's like in a space where she's like, I think it's more emotional. And I'm like, that's awesome that you noticed that. And I think when the two worlds meet, you know, having good nutrition on board and knowing that it doesn't have to be perfect either, you know, like I, I think Gabby was just talking about one of her clients that was really concerned about, um, like I'm not, okay. I <laughs> take that back. Um, we work with a lot of clients who are also concerned about, um, 
gums in their food, for example. Oh yeah. You know, the tiniest of ingredients and just like, oh no, it has gums. And, um, it's just like, but your, your body can afford that when it's, when it feels a little bit safer, right. Your body can, can afford to not eat out or to eat non-organic foods when it feels a little bit safer is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think so. And I also think at what point is that hypervigilance around what we're putting into our body more harmful than the actual ingredients that we're putting into our body, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was a thing for me that I realized I'm like, I'm so hypervigilant around my food and with so much food anxiety (laughs) and even the healthy foods that I'm eating are not, I'm not absorbing the nutrients from them because I'm in such a state of stress over it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like enter this space. I feel like in the nutrition space, you want to go zero to 100 because you're like, wow, it's like a whole new world and you want to make sure you're doing it right. And all of that. And I, when I first entered the space in like 2014, 2015, I 1000% got sicker before I got better because I was so anxious about every single thing I put on near or in my body. (laughs) Totally. And it's like, you do it too, because you're like, I'm going to do everything I can to get better. Mm -hmm. But we don't realize how like robust, but also how delicate and sensitive our nervous systems are. Mm -hmm. And then even the very thing that's supposed to be helping us can be perceived as (laughs) a threat like this carrot. Oh my God, it's not organic. I can't eat the non-organic carrot. I have to peel it. I've got to do all the things, but I can only use this certain type of wash for it and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh my gosh, like you're causing more anxiety and stress over it. And I'm wondering what you would say to someone who is in that state and like, they probably know that, okay, that means I'm in my sympathetic nervous system, but how do you stop that? Because it's so much more than just saying like, don't think that and you'll be fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can't think yourself into feeling safe. So it's, it's not something that's going to happen overnight, right? You're not going to just be like, okay, I'm going to be fine with eating something that's not organic now, (laughs) like snap my fingers and it's over. It's more of a practice of being with that sympathetic energy, right? So like, if you have the thing that's not organic or the thing that has gums in it and you're like, okay, this is really like, I'm noticing the anxiety. I'm noticing what this feels like in my body to feel anxious. That's the first step is like having the awareness around it. And then how can I discharge this anxiety? And that's going to be different for different people at different times. So for me, sometimes just going in my backyard and sitting in the sun next to, we've got this huge Mexican sunflower plant that is blooming right now. And that's like such a regulating resource for me. Or other times singing, putting on music that I want to sing to and singing, or other times dancing or a shower, right? Taking a walk, like those things can help move that sympathetic energy. And it's really about listening to your nervous system and seeing what do I need right in this moment. Mm -hmm. And at first you may not have any idea. You're going to be like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm hungry. That's what I need. (laughs) That's what I was just going to say, because I work with a lot of clients who are like, we're we're moving that through, through that exploration. And they're like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm feeling right now. Working with that, that numbness. Try something. Mm. Try something. And if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> right? Like it's okay. Try again. Totally. Like, okay. You didn't learn how to ride a bike the very first time you got on that bike. You didn't know how to have a relationship with a person the very first time you met them. Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing is building relationship with ourselves so that we can get to know what are my needs in this moment. Like if I know I slept really poorly the night before, I'm probably not going to feel my best the next day. So when I wake up in the morning, I check in with myself. How am I feeling right in this moment? I'm feeling sluggish and a little tired. Okay, so what can I do to support myself in the next moment so that I'm not depleting myself and feeling more burnt out as the day goes on? And the more we check in with ourselves, what do I need in this moment? The easier it becomes and the more habitual it becomes. Yeah. This is what reparenting is. Like people think reparenting is so many different things, but this is really like the foundation of it is really showing up for ourselves in the ways that we need, presencing our needs. And granted, we're not always going to be able to meet our needs or have the need met and being with that too. Mm. I love that you said that reparenting, because I think a lot of our um, listeners are kind of in that space. At least I was when I first stepped into this holistic space and learning all of the things um, and realizing like, wow, I don't think that I truly got what I needed as a child, like that true connection and presence. I mean, but on the outside, if you looked at my world, it was perfect, right? I got anything that I ever wanted and and so on and so forth. And I had the perfect family, like on the outside, not that my family was just like, the worst. And I'm so grateful for them. And I love them so much. Um, and that also doesn't dismiss the, the lack of connection or presence that I may have needed and the attunement that you spoke of earlier that I may have needed as a, a toddler or growing up in my preteen years. And, um, that's no fault of their own either, but I love how we can kind of do it for ourselves today with just being present with the sensation that's in our body. Absolutely. And both things can be true. Our parents can be good people and we can also have not had our needs met, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They were doing the very best that they could Mm -hmm. and we can still be hurt and sad and angry that we didn't get what we needed. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to honor and validate the emotional experience. Cause sometimes we'll be like, Oh, it was fine. It wasn't that big of a deal. Cause we're afraid to be with our anger. Cause then we think, Oh, then that means I have to be angry at my parents. Mm-hmm. And then I have to cut them off <laughs> and you don't have to do that. Yeah. Go to a retreat and never speak to your family. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> I don't, that's you, the extreme. <laughs> totally. And I don't believe that that's healthy either, unless there's like yeah. some really serious abuse happening still. Yeah. You know, like then that would be a situation where I would probably recommend maybe severing ties or really limiting communication. But as adults, we get to choose how we show up in those relationships now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And when we're showing up for ourselves, we don't need the relationship in the same way, which to me is so freeing because then we can just love our parents for how and who they are. 
we can receive what they have to offer and then we can meet our needs in other ways. Yeah, and whatever we're not available for, we're allowed to say I'm not available for that and I'm gonna go today. (laughs) And now I have the ability to drive home instead of sit here and deal with it like I had to as a kid. Um, Exactly. Yeah, I think like taking that power back is really healing. Because so often I remember when I would come home from college, um, my mom was a single mom and like, oh my God, just did everything she could. But obviously there are areas that like aren't met naturally with a single mom. And I remember I would come home from college and I would get into like this like childlike uh, attitude, but it was very subconscious. Like it wasn't conscious I actually like my conscious mind would be super annoyed at myself like why am I acting like this like what is going on and my therapist was just like it's you're like kind of living out maybe what you didn't live out as a kid or a teenager and all of that and it's I think it's fascinating and when you can kind of like realize that that's what you're doing and how to kind of close that gap and just take your power back and have a conversation if you need to, but if it's like, you know, I don't know, it's it's super, super interesting. And Mm -hmm. I think it can be looked at and we bring this in a lot, but like this work can be really dense and really um, heavy. And so where can we like bring the lightness and bring the body back into the present moment? I feel. Yeah. And I love what you were just sharing because I find that a lot of people when they're learning how to set boundaries, will sort of default to those old patterns too, where they're like, no, (laughs) you know, and like, well, if we didn't really have boundaries, it'll become really rigid. Yeah. And the Mm -hmm. goal isn't to be super rigid or super loose. It's to have that flexibility where today I may not have space for that or bandwidth for that, but tomorrow maybe I do. And that's okay. It doesn't make one wrong or one right. It's just how am I feeling in this moment? And what do I have capacity for in this moment? Yeah. And it changes all the time that I love that you brought that up. Yeah, it does. And it's okay. Mm. And it depends on how did I sleep last night? What (laughs) is happening in my, you know, in my life, in my home, are my kids sick? (laughs) Am I eating healthy today? Because I didn't sleep very well last night. So maybe my, I'm not nourishing myself the way that I need to. Do I have a lot of client calls and not enough time for rest? My capacity, you know, my window of tolerance is going to probably be really narrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we expect ourselves to show up perfectly and to get it all right, that also creates stress. I think the ultimate goal of healing is just like radical acceptance of who we are and how we are in any given moment and knowing that we're not going to always get it right. And that that's okay. Even with the food stuff, right? Like we're not always going to eat. We might eat something that is not good for us and we might have a reaction to it, but that doesn't mean that we are a horrible person. Yeah. I might say something offensive to someone and not mean it because I'm tired and I'm trying to set a boundary and I don't have the bandwidth, but that behavior doesn't mean that I'm a terrible person. Yeah. And I, I guess it's hard or challenging to rewire that line of thinking when that's kind of like the conditioning that you grew up around. Like if you make a mistake, you're bad. Yeah. 
because parents are punishing their children based on behavior mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of seeing behavior as the window to your autonomic state. Yeah. My Ooh. two-year-old said to me the other day, she was like, mommy, I hate you. Mm. <laughs> and I, was like, I was like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, she's in sympathetic. She's got a little bit of a fight energy. She's angry. So I could choose to punish her for saying that she hates me. Or I could say to her, I totally get that you're angry right now. Right? Like notice how that feels. (laughs) Because how many times have you said or wanted to say, I hate you? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, I want to say that when I don't know how to express to you, I'm really freaking mad right now. You're not letting me have the cookie that I want and I'm mad at you. Or you're not letting me watch the show that I want and I hate you because you're hurting me. And I'm just like, as a parent hearing that too, like, how do you have the, the capacity to just take that almost like, and not take it. I I know you can't take it personally, but, um, but yeah, not take it personally when she yells at you or says something like that. Well, that's because of all of the somatic work (laughs) that I've done for like, I don't know, 10 years (laughs) or more. That's amazing. And I guess for someone who's just starting out like in that space, how, yeah. Like, can you walk us through what that process may look like and becoming grounded in yourself when you have a child who's screaming at you or throwing a temperature tantrum? Yeah. So the first thing that I always tell parents is notice your reaction. And this goes with our children and it goes with our partners and it goes with our bosses and any person that we have an interaction with, right? So first check in, am I actually in danger? First of all, I'm okay. I'm not in danger presently, but my nervous system might feel like I'm in danger. So if my kid is screaming, I may have the inclination to do whatever it takes to pacify them so that I don't have to hear the screaming anymore because it is so overwhelming to my body. Yeah. So the key is to practice and it takes practice and lots and lots of repetition, but to practice being with and noticing who I am really activated. When my kids would have temper tantrums, when I first started learning and peeling back these layers and having kids is a whole new dynamic of activation too, because they activate you in ways that you could never even have imagined. And so my kids would fight, they were little, And I would, they would be fighting and having tantrums and I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to like, I feel like I'm going to explode. So I would just go in my room and just be with the activation on my own. And then I would breathe. I might shake my hands. I might, you know, do wash my face with cold water. And this was before I learned really any of these somatic tools that they were actually tools. And then I would come and respond to my kids. Mm. And again, focusing on the feeling rather than their behavior. Because if we focus on their behavior, they internalize that as shame. If we focus on the feeling, then they feel seen. And the behavior will diminish once they feel like we see them and know them and get them. Mm, that's game changer. Right it there. is. And I tell my daughter, my daughter has a brain injury. So she gets frustrated and really irritable quickly. And I tell her all the time, I'm like, it's okay to be angry. I won't let you hit your brother, but it's okay that you're mad, right? Like you can be mad. Mm. 
So let's do something else to get that anger out of your body. Do you want to listen to music? Do you want to draw? Do you want to go jump in the pool? Do you want me to push you on the swing really high? And my job as the mother, as her mom, is to show her anger's fine, but let's do something to move it so that you don't feel like you have to fight and defend yourself. Because I'm here protecting you and holding your hand through it. Mm. I love that. And do you feel like it varies like with different age groups of children, like what that will look like? Yeah. And different kids. Mm. And kiddos will have more sensitivity to different emotions. So my son is more sensitive to sadness. So presencing and holding space for sadness, it's an uncomfortable one for him. For her, anger is uncomfortable and it gets, feels really big. But when I'm attuned to them, I know that about them. Yeah. How do you, I guess, how do you manage all of it? Like being a mom, being, you know, owning your own business and being a friend, being, you know, I'm sure, <laughs> you know, all of it. And, and still, like, I'm just like, that's amazing that you have the capacity to just be so attuned to your children, like right then and there. Well, I also give myself a lot of grace because I'm not perfect. Mm. Right. Like I get it right. Maybe, I don't know, 50% of the time. <laughs> on the high end, you know, but like the rest of our relationship is really like, there's a lot of love and there's care and there's compassion. And when I'm in a bad mood, I tell my kids like quickly before they have to start guessing. Oh, the guessing. Yeah. You know, I'm like, mommy is grumpy. And they're like, we know. <laughs> and I'm like, it's not your fault. You know, this has nothing to do with you. I just have to be in the grump for a little bit and then we can move on. But that's just what's happening. <laughs> and they're like, okay. Yeah. Like you're not, I mean, they might get a little activated because obviously they don't want to see you grumpy, but then they don't internalize that. Like you said, is it's not your fault, but then it's like, it's, I've like had experiences where someone wasn't taught how to express their emotion and then you're you're like hey are you upset right now no I'm not and then that's so confusing because it's like my intuition is telling me that you're upset and you're saying you're not and it's almost like infuriating for the person that's like no but you are mad it's okay you're <laughs> not just say it <laughs> so confusing for little nervous systems and kids and their caregivers whether it's a parent or teacher or whatever our nervous systems are so sophisticated that we can feel another person's activation, even if they're not expressing it outwardly. Mm -hmm. So it always will wake up our own activation. That's mm -hmm. neuroception. So that's part of the polyvagal theory teachings is that our nervous systems are always picking up cues of threat or cues of safety. And because of that sophistication, if you are giving off any sort of vibe that you're activated, but you're trying to fake it. And someone asks you, that's really confusing and invalidating for a child. And it's in a way, it's not really gaslighting, but in a way it feels like that to the it nervous system. Like it. Yeah. Is the, the child is like, well, you're kind of, you look like you're frowning, <laughs> you know, like, I think I'm picking up these cues, but you're telling me you're fine. So I'm really confused. And now I don't feel safe. Mm hmm. Yeah. 
So oh, speaking on, yeah, sorry, keep going. I was just going to say, so when we own what we're feeling, it gives our kids permission to own what they're feeling and then it removes the guessing. So they might feel activation because I'm activated, but it's not the same. Right. And this is already like working through these emotions are already challenging enough. Like, can we make it a little less challenging by just being honest? Um and yeah. I don't have to tell them what's going on. Like, I don't have to say, oh, you know, my friend didn't call me back and I'm just so mad at her. I can't believe, you know, I'm <laughs> telling my kids all of that. I'm just like, I'm grumpy. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't sleep good. <laughs> I'm in a bad mood or I'm sad today, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I love this so much because I just remember there were experiences where I knew something was going on, but I didn't know what was going on. But you know, my parents would try to hide it yeah. in order to keep us safe. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what they knew. It's so confusing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we so think I can't tell my kids things because I, they wouldn't understand or I have to protect them. But like when you're just speaking to the emotion, they get emotion. My two-year-old can tell me when she's sad or mad or tired. Today, she literally said, I'm so tired. <laughs> I said, Let's go have a nap. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God. You know, and most adults can't even identify what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't it also too, because if you're telling, you're, you're saying out loud, I'm fine, but on the inside, you're feeling sad. Isn't it also confusing your own nervous system? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And so then later on in life, it's harder to pinpoint how you're actually feeling mm-hmm. the true emotion. Yeah. That's... Totally. You and mentioned. Go ahead. Oh, going. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to say when I work with clients, we spend a lot of time identifying the sensations before the emotions, because sometimes it's easier to notice those and then the emotion can emerge from that but some people have such an aversion to being in their bodies that they can't even go there Mm -hmm. so we have to spend a lot of time orienting you know or being in relationship with each other and then I might notice what I'm feeling in my body and I name that because if I'm feeling that level of activation then they must be too yeah And I do that with my kids. I'm like, oh man, I can see your face is, you know, turning pink and you look like you really want to hit your brother and you look like you're about to scream and your body looks really stiff. Are you mad? Do you feel angry? And then they can say yes or no, Mm -hmm. you know, but then they can at least have this embodied experience of, oh, this is what anger feels like in my body right now. Because otherwise, how do you know? (laughs) How do you know what anger feels like? I'm angry. How do you know? I asked a client that once and she's like, well, I don't know. (laughs) I just, I'm mad. And I'm like, okay, tell me how, you know, like, what are the clues in your body that tell you that you're angry when you're happy? How do you know that you're happy? If you can't identify those feelings, then how are you going to be able to get back there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I was working with someone the other day and she was like, um, yeah, I always get stumped when you ask me like, and what tells you that she's like, I don't know. It just, it just feels nice, <laughs> but slowly making that progress there. Like what, what clues do you have inside of your body that are telling you that it feels nice? Mm-hmm. 
it creates such an embodied experience. And I think that's ultimately what we're trying to go after is just feel like whole, that felt mm-hmm. sense of wholeness and just being in our bodies since trauma um, creates disembodiment. Exactly. And it depathologizes what we're feeling. His mm-hmm. feelings are not bad. Yeah. Thoughts are not bad. They're not going to hurt us, right? It's just energy. Mm-hmm. And it always expands and contracts and it moves. And sometimes you'll be happy and sometimes you'll be sad. And it's never going to be the one thing forever and ever. Amen. Right. It's like fluid. That's the hope is mm-hmm. that it's fluid. And it takes away the pathology of <clears throat> when I'm in a bad mood that doesn't mean I'm bad or that there's something wrong with me. It just means that this is the energy that's taking up space right now. Mm, I love that. I love doing that with symptoms, Mm -hmm. especially because it's like, Oh no, it's a symptom. I noticed a girl in my belly. It's bad. But it also makes sense, you know, for someone who's dealt with digestive issues and it's like, Oh no, it's, it's the gurgle again. And I know what that means. And so based off past history, it, they're expecting something, but I guess recreating that relationship with your symptoms and with your body is going to help like, um, transform the symptoms themselves. Actually. I love working with symptoms. Yeah. I love it so much because it's literally direct feedback from your body live, right? Like you get so much information from them. Mm Mm-hmm. It's yeah. little, it's like a little tweet. <laughs> and with mold, I imagine there's like a lot happening in your system, right? Oh, oh my gosh. So many, I don't have any now, thankfully, but wow. was, I was dealing with hair loss and rashes and severe brain fog and like trouble with word finding and insomnia, exhaustion, joint pain, muscle pain, digestive wow. issues. Oh, it was atrocious. I didn't love symptoms then. <laughs> I actually it's happening. I think I found you on Instagram because of that post or it may have been something else. I don't know. And I was like, I loved what you wrote. It was like something along the lines of a trauma response and like mold. Yeah. Yep. Weaving the two together. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I believe, and I have found that trauma having a history of unresolved trauma and nervous system dysregulation makes you more susceptible to mold and other autoimmune issues, but mold in particular mold. Yeah. And- Cause it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, how would you, um, approach if you were in, like you could tell you're in a moldy environment, like, does that maybe not you personally, but like hypothetically does, or you personally, if you're comfortable, does that activate you? What, what would you kind of do if, say like you rent an Airbnb and you're like, wow, this is super moldy. How would you suggest people navigate that from a nervous system somatic? (laughs) Such a different perspective now, because a lot of people um, that I know that work with mold are like really intense mold avoiders. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's where I'm getting to. It's like, okay. Yeah. I live a much more balanced approach. So we actually had this experience in June. We had just gotten over COVID and I was dealing with some lingering sinus issues and we rented an Airbnb in Asheville and it was moldy. Mm. 
and it smelled like mothballs. <laughs> it was like oh, the double cute- whammy. <laughs> oh, I know. It was the cutest Airbnb, but I was like, okay, there's clearly mold here. And so we just spent a lot of time outside. I bring binders with me and um like lymphatic support when I travel, just because I think it's good to have. And I also, now I'm going to start bringing, we've got the little hypo air, air filter. And so I'm going to start bringing that with me when we travel too, but I didn't have that with me on this trip. Um, and so I just support my body that way. And then when I get home, you know, I can do the sauna and exercise and drinking the white, right water and things like that. I don't, but I don't let myself get too overwhelmed and stressed by it because the stress is going to be worse for my system than mold. A healthy system will get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why, I mean, we've all been exposed, but this is why some people literally don't even know what mold is and they've never felt a symptom of mold in their life. And I'm always so interested. And obviously there's a gene and like, you can go down the rabbit hole of like, maybe some people are more susceptible, but what's Mm -hmm. happening from a nervous system standpoint that is making you susceptible as well. I Um, think rigidity. Yeah. Like Mm. a lot of nervous system rigidity. Yeah. Causes us to hold. Cause if you think about something that's rigid, you know, you need like a well lubricated (laughs) body to move and that's where fluidity is. And so if somebody's really rigid and tense and stressed, then your body's not going to be letting go of things as easily. Would you say that somebody that more likely would, um, go towards freeze like in, a nervous or maybe I mean like a sympathetic too but freeze being the rigidity I think so freeze and sympathetic because sympathetic can be rigid in its own way too yeah true and the further you go down the ladder into dorsal the more threat your body feels like it's under so when you're in dorsal and freeze is a blend of sympathetic and dorsal so when you move into full dorsal like my, and maybe like some people that are in dorsal, I don't know, I would have to do more research on it, but I'm wondering if like those people would be susceptible to mold in that same way. Mm-hmm. I don't, I just, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. You've already kind of started explaining polyvagal theory a little bit, but would you be able to kind of, it's a lot, right? <laughs> like how would you simplify it for someone who does not know a thing about polyvagal theory? explaining the ladder and everything. Okay. So the way polyvagal theory conceptualizes the nervous system is that it's, it's a ladder. So Mm -hmm. they, they say it's a ladder and we have three main autonomic states and then three blended states. So at the top of the ladder, you have ventral, then further down the ladder, you have the sympathetic nervous system. And then at the bottom of the ladder, you have the dorsal vagal complex ventral is your state of safety and regulation and the further down the ladder you go the more threat your system thinks it's under so sympathetic a lot of people think oh that's the fight and flight response which it is but it's more than just fight and flight it's also mobile mobilization so it's any movement it's any action taking it's doing it's like i have to do this now Dorsal vagal is immobilization. And a lot of people will call dorsal freeze and it's not the same. Dorsal is collapse. Dorsal is heavy. It's lethargic. It's cold. It's damp. It's it's just really, really, really stuck 
and immobilized. This is where we, our system goes when it thinks we're dying and this is our last resort. So it doesn't look like there's a lot happening on the surface, but internally there is, it's very, very intense. Hmm. The blended states are play, which is a blend of ventral and sympathetic. So that's safety with mobilizing energy, which means you are spontaneous, right? You're joyful, exuberant, like more high energy, but you have enough safety on board that you're not being pulled into a threat response. And then stillness is the next blended state and stillness is a blend of ventral and dorsal. So this is where you are when you're meditating, you're present, you're not dissociating, but your body's calm. This is where you are when you're just about to fall asleep, you're present, but your body's calm. And then the last state is another survival state and that's freeze. And that is sympathetic blended with dorsal. So you have equal parts sympathetic, equal parts dorsal, and you're stuck. You have a lot of energy. And then there's this cloak of dorsal over top the sympathetic energy and you cannot move. So think deer in the headlights where the body is really tense your eyes are really wide, but you're not moving. Mm-hmm. It's also a really intense state to be. Anything with immobilization is is pretty intense feeling. I mean, sympathetic can be really intense too, but not being able to move, especially when you feel like you need to, is intense. Well, I'm glad that you brought up the blended states because I think when people hear sympathetic, they're like, oh no, bad because we're in fight or flight, but yeah. building a healthy relationship to sympathetic, I think is really important. Cause as you said, it's, it's mobilization. It's me getting up from this chair, going up a flight of stairs, like something as simple as that we need our going sympathetic to the bathroom, going to the bathroom, <laughs> right? You need, thank some God. Of, yeah. You need some <laughs> mobilizing energy to get you there. Yeah. And it's not that's why I love the polyvagal theory so much because that's what takes away the pathology from what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. Cause dorsal is not bad. Sympathetic is not bad. And in fact, we don't want to get rid of those nervous system states because you don't want to be driving on the highway without some sympathetic energy. Cause if a car cuts you off, you want to have that reaction time. Yeah. You know, like you want that, you need those defenses. There's a reason that we have these defenses. Mm -hmm. If a bear is attacking you or not attacking you, but like if a bear is coming after you or something, you want to be able to play dead and not move. If you were an animal, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because then you're not a prey or a predator anymore. Mm -hmm. So having these nervous system states is important. We don't want to eliminate or get rid of them. We just want to learn how to befriend them and be with those energies. Yeah. And and being able to move from the different states throughout the day. Right. Because I think I saw, uh, if you know, the polar bear, polar bear uh, video, the, the trauma polar bear, the chitinalizer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they wrote a caption on one of the slides and it was like the only people who don't kind of regulate themselves after, um, a a trauma are, um, humans and zoo animals. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. when that happens, we're like, kind of, we can remain stuck 
in these states because we don't quite have the resources or the capacity to be able to move out of them. Mm -hmm. And we need three things in order for our nervous systems to feel safe. We need context, so information. We need a choice and we need connection. Mm. So if we have, after a traumatic event, community, we will be far less likely to be traumatized than if we didn't have anyone. Wow. Mm -hmm. Just thinking back to like events and like, if I didn't have anyone, like how that would have played out. It's really. Yeah. Think about, yeah. And that's what makes things traumatic. That's why this whole pandemic situation felt so traumatic for so many people is because we didn't really have context in the beginning. We didn't really have a choice and we didn't have connection. We were told to isolate from everyone. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. And I haven't thought about it relatives. that way. You're going to kill your relatives if you hug them. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what we were told. <laughs> literally. Like, oh my God, I'm, I don't want to be a murderer. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, wow. Get a dark winter of death. Basically. I know. <laughs> wow. Well, hopefully yeah. the majority of us listening are uh, aware of that and hopefully are in community now and are in connection with someone, others. Uh, Gabby and I talk about this all the time, just the concept of community and how, we had a sense of community like growing up. And I think when you're older, you kind of have to like find that, that community because it may not look the same of what it was in, in middle school or high school. And then you start liking different things. You have different interests. You're just not maybe the same person as you once were. And so I've had personally like to navigate that space on my own and I'm still navigating. Mm -hmm. Um, and finding that community. And I think the little bits of connection that I can take from, from Gabby and from podcast guests are just so awesome. Um, so and yeah. I think as adults, we kind of have to work a little harder at it. Yeah. It's easier mm -hmm. for us to be busy. Yes. And you're not like in college, we were talking about in college, I lived in like a complex. I had four, uh, three or four to five roommates at a time. Like we all were on similar schedules. You're just doing like you're in community and then you're almost in like a commune and then you leave and you're like, oh, and you might live with your nuclear family and like have some friends, but it's not, it's a transition. And yeah, it's wild. The difference that you feel when you are in community versus when you're not. Um, and I think healing can be very isolating and if you feel like people don't understand you or know what you're talking about or all of this, um, then you feel like you're losing your community as well. Like mm -hmm. as you're going down this path. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize how healing community is. Mm -hmm. And it's scary if you have relational trauma yeah. as a child, reaching out for connection or even being in connection with somebody else is going to be really uncomfortable. Vulnerability is terrifying for so many people. Mm -hmm. That's why I love group programs so much, small intimate setting ones where there is a sense of community. You can have this community virtually 
Mm. So tell us about that. You have a polyvagal parenting group program. I do. It starts on the second and I'm keeping it super duper small. I'm only having a maximum of 10 people in it. Yeah. November 2nd, 2020. Yeah. What did I say? <laughs> the second. You, you said, no, you said the second, but I just wanted, yeah. it'll Thank be you. out. <laughs> and, but I want it to be super small for a couple of reasons. It'll be easier for me to manage all the needs of everyone in there if it's a smaller group, but also there is going to be a really strong focus on community, which I'm not advertising that because a lot of people get like, it's a deterrent to them. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'll get in the secret inside scoop, but <laughs> um, people don't realize that we do really need community to heal. We need to be seen and witnessed and known and felt by another in order for us to heal those relational hurts that we have. We can't heal in isolation. And so having this support of people, even if they're not therapists or trained practitioners or anything like that, just knowing that this other person gets me, that's another thing that I love about our nervous systems. We are, our systems are so sophisticated that I can tell when I'm saying something that you get me, Mm. right? And you can tell that I get you, like, you know what it's like to get gotten, (laughs) you know, it's not something so nonverbal. Yeah, exactly. That's not something that you can fake. (laughs) Like either you get me or you don't get me. And that feeling of being gotten is so such a corrective experience because for so many of us, when we were kids, we didn't have that. Mm -hmm. And going back to what we were talking about before, where parents are like, everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Right. You feel like, oh my gosh, I think something's wrong with me. I'm conf- I'm confused because I'm feeling something so different. There must mm-hmm. be something wrong with me. Yeah. But so the polyvagal parenting program is for moms and being in community with each other, but also learning about our nervous systems and learning how to show up for ourselves so that we can show up for our kids better, learning how to be okay with making mistakes you know, learning how to have sort of that radical acceptance of who we are, how we are in any given moment. Mm. And how long is the program? Three months. Mm. Nice. I can't imagine how healing that is for moms. I'm like already thinking I'm not a mom yet, but like 1000% will be signing up for something (laughs) when I'm a mom. Like I just, even as like an aunt or babysitting well the cat I'm really trying to not have the cat (laughs) Um, just like as an aunt as a babysitter like all of that and the activation that I have felt there like I just can't imagine how different that is as the parent and how healing like incredibly healing it would be to be in a community like that yeah yeah Gabby and I talk about that uh, sometimes about like our past experiences. I was a nanny once in a previous lifetime and yeah. Wow. And I did it Monday through Friday, nine to five. And I'm just like, Oh, I feel like their second mom. And it was two girls who were so fun and so beautiful. And I love them so much. And they were teeny, you know, from like nine months to like 18 months. Mm -hmm. And I, there were times where they didn't want to nap. 
And like, I needed a nap. (laughs) And I just noticed like the activation of my system, like, wow, I can't imagine what it's like to have to, to, to be a mom 24 seven, which is such a gift. Like I cannot wait to be a mom, but at the same time, wow. (laughs) So I think that program is going to be awesome. I can't wait to share it um, with people. And also I've taken your embracing consciousness course. Oh yeah. Loved as well. I mean, I love the curriculum that's inside and I love the practical steps that are in there because you have worksheets in there for, for everyone to complete just to kind of have that built-in accountability mm-hmm. for them. And I don't know, I just, I love the regulating resources, you know, kind of what we did at the beginning of the call, that grounding practice, like um, Andy just has so many more regulating regulating resources inside of the course too. So I'll put, pop a link in there for that too. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Cool. (laughs) All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you having on the show, Mandy. And we'll link all your social media links as well and your website. So everyone check out the show notes for all of that. And until next time. Bye guys. Thank you so much. Bye. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. If the episode resonated with you, feel free to share it with a friend and give the podcast a five-star review and rating as this allows us to grow and continue having incredible guests on the show. Thank you so much for your support. Until next time.